You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Somehow, even though I'm convinced that summer has months yet to go, we are at football season already. The Hall of Fame game tonight might only be preseason, but it is NFL action on your television. The first since the Super Bowl. We got the Jags and Raiders. We're going to get into it. It's Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, and I was thinking about the return of football and what that does to my calendar. Now, thankfully, we have a couple more weeks of the preseason where it's random Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, whatever. But pretty soon, our Sundays are eaten up again. And I was thinking of all the things I said I would do during the offseason. Well, you know, I can't spend my Sundays cleaning the garage during football. I'll do it during the offseason. Well, guess what? I didn't. And now I'm not gonna, because football's back. What is the thing that you said you would do and you did not do, and now you will not do because football has returned? Let me know at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain. Uh, we're going to get into it right off the top here with Vic Tafer, who covers the Raiders for the Athletic, as somehow, some way, we're previewing an NFL game. I recognize it's preseason, Vic. But what do you have your eye on the most for tonight's matchup? Well, I mean, most of the guys people know won't play all the starters and some of the key backups. But there's still some good questions to answer, like the guys in the offensive line. That's the biggest issue, I think. And we'll see some of the bodies there who are competing for spots and some of the young guys of like the rookie draft pick, Dylan Parham, who they have big plans for at some point. And uh, also Tyron Johnson's a guy, a receiver, who's got a lot of speed. He has a chance to make an impact tonight and kind of get in that battle in a very tight receiving room uh, for, for the Raiders. Who are some of the young players that the team might be excited to, to get the first look at? Well, I mentioned uh, Johnson, the guy who's had a good camp. I think um, some of the guys from the last regime, like the new regime actually comes in, obviously they have opinions of the, of the old regime's guys. I think Malcolm Koontz is one of those guys who was a third-round pick last year at two sacks in five games. He's not done much at camp, so he's got to really prove to the new staff that he can be an you know, impact uh, edge rusher off the bench and have some upside. So he's a guy who has to play well tonight and in the next next three games. Uh, new coaching and obviously expectations change. How has it felt different already just in camp? Well, you know, this time of year, everyone's uh, super positive. Every team loves their new coach and vice versa. So, uh, so far, it's been, uh, you know, I guess a home run that players are excited about. Um, Josh McDaniels' pedigree and his play calling ability. He's excited about Devontae Adams and some of the talent on offense, Darren Waller. So I think the offense, uh, everyone thinks they should be a you know, top five unit. I think that's a pretty uh, fair projection. The defense has some question marks, but again, everyone right now is really excited about what the, uh, the possibilities are for the season. Vic Tafer from The Athletic is here with me on Spade and Fitz talking about tonight's Hall of Fame game between the Raiders and the Jags. What's McDaniels been like with the media, and how big of a switch has that been for you? He's been good. I mean, he's definitely saying the right things. I think um, he's very uh, positive, very optimistic, and he knows, you know, the book on him was that he wasn't a people guy in Denver where he had that, you know, his first head coaching job, which didn't turn out well. So he's trying to be more, more personable, both, I think, with the players and with the media, just trying to, like, show up more of a bright, you know, not going side on this guy who's super serious and then bogged down in the details and forgetting to see the big picture. So, um, so far, so good. You know, obviously we'll know more when some adversity hits right now. I guess everyone is super positive this time of year. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's done, done well and definitely uh, embraced the new market and embraced the new beginning. 
Yeah, he, he, he learned that you never go full Belichick. Uh, only Belichick can go full Belichick. It doesn't seem authentic or in any way acceptable when somebody else tries to pull that. And maybe in this uh, uh, chance, second chance as head coach, he will be more himself and less trying to be a facsimile of, of Belichick. I wonder what you think we can learn from his time under Bill, though, something like uh, the offense. What do you expect to see? I mean, this is a very different uh, team than the New England team, but they, you know, last season his his New England offense ran just a quarter of the time um, on second down after an incomplete pass, tied for sixth fewest. Are you going to expect a lot of the same decision making here, or do you think um, he d- goes out on his own without Bill overseeing him? I think he wants to run the ball more. I think um, you know they got Josh Jacobs who they didn't bring, uh, they didn't give him a fifth year option extension, so he's on his last year kind of playing for a new contract. You know, rookies and Mary White, who they're kind of high on. So I think he'll see what he has in the running games. You can't rely on them more than maybe they did last year with the Patriots. I think the obvious things are the passing game. You got Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro. So right there, a play caller with his pedigree should have a great, uh, just great you know, plans and outlines for what he wants to do uh, this season. Vic Tafer is with me here at Solo Spain. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. The NFL is somehow already back tonight. The Hall of Fame game between the Raiders and the Jags. Of course, just preseason, so you try to pick out the parts that mean something. Um, When you look at this team beyond this game and you get to regular season, like you said, the expectations are very high. How do you... How do you imagine this marriage between McDaniels and, and Carr and what that might do for his status within the league? It should be good. I mean, everyone in Derek Carr's had a lot of coaches already in his eight years in the league. I think all the coaches would agree he's a guy who definitely works hard, super prepared. You know, he grew up learning the offense from his brother who played in the NFL, so he definitely has a good arm. He has everything you want in the guy in the quarterback. I just think all the coaches like his work ethic. They like the way he brought to the team. So I think there'll be no different here. I think Josh definitely like all the things Derek can do and, and vice versa. I think Derek is excited about having some new wrinkles in the offense and, again, having you know, his bell, college buddy, Adams, I mean, every time Derek Carr's had uh, the best, the most success in this league because he's had a receiver who he trusts and goes to, you know, whatever. It's a key third down player in the Reds. And a guy you can definitely always know where he's going to be and have the ball at a certain spot. And we'll definitely have that with, uh, with Adams. Yeah. Uh, you know, Vic, there was a ton of drama around this team last year for a number of disparate reasons. Uh, It's carried over a little bit. Dan Van Trell, who was fired from the front office, says Mark Davis fired him after he raised complaints about a hostile workplace. He is one of several folks from the front office of the Raiders that have quit or been fired in the last season or so. What do you make of all the movement up top for the Raiders? Yeah, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. I think uh, for some reason, the transition to Las Vegas, I think I was trying to figure out the other day. I think it was like maybe the, the top 10 officials on the business side who are involved in the stadium, you know, getting the stadium in Vegas, getting all that stuff done as far as uh, all the, the you know traditional stuff. Eight of those guys are gone. So I just think there's wow. obviously some issues as far as the transition goes. I think there have been some problems as far as allegations of, you know, some misconduct in their front office. I just think that they're going for a clean slate. I imagine Ventrelli and Mark Davis will settle at some point. They won't go to court. I think they'll be buried at some point. They just hired a new president. So they're definitely trying to turn the corner uh, both on the field and, and, and off the field. Yeah, Ventrelli had been with the team since 2003, uh, mostly as an executive VP and general counsel, was promoted to president in the last year and then fired. Uh, and now is, yeah. is debating with Mark Davis as to why. Uh, that's a lot of movement up top. 
Is there any reason to think that the drama will slow down, or is this what we can expect from the Vegas Raiders? Because it is Vegas, after all. Well, but Joe knows where all the bodies are buried, so that's why yeah. I think you got to make sure you settle with him. You sure? I mean, I'm sure he'll get more. I mean, Marquez wanted to give him, but I think that will go away. I think that um, uh, it's unfortunate that the way things have kind of went with the front office, that so you would think that would be a time to kind of enjoy, you know, the the, the prosperity and, the, and, the, and the, the success of moving to Vegas and the new stadium was beautiful, but they don't got that way. There's a lot of issues, I think, um, personality-wise. There's some tax issues that people don't want to go into. So I just think that. Um, yeah, you know, last year you mentioned all the off-field stuff, so this is even more of a kind of a double down to kind of just, you know, to put it all behind, everything behind them, start this year fresh with Devontae Adams and the new president and just kind of hopefully coach, win, yeah. you know, win, solve everything. So if they win, it'll, it'll be fine. Just win, baby, I believe is the saying. Uh, Vic, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Vic Tafer covers the Raiders for The Athletic. First game of the season, preseason, the Hall of Fame game tonight as the Raiders take on the Jags. We'll get to the Jags half coming up later. But next, a sentence has been handed down in the Brittany Griner case. What does it mean for the WNBA star and her possibilities of getting home? Plus the latest in the Deshaun Watson appeal. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Brittany Griner sentenced to nine years in Russian prison today. And while many people reacted with shock and horror, rightfully so, I wasn't surprised, and I'll tell you why. It's Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. TJ Quinn's going to come on the show later and talk about this, but I've been following his work the entire time that Brittany Griner has been out in that Russian prison because a lot of people are trying to compare exactly how this would go down if Griner had been caught with some sort of illegal drugs in the U.S. And frankly, they are not comparable. What we've known all along is exactly what has gone down, what has been presented to us by hostage experts, by experts who follow the Russian court system, who follow incidents like this. Every single thing they have predicted is exactly how it's gone down. So today, when you hear a sentence of nine years, a fine of a million rubles, which is almost 17 grand, when you hear them say that they thought she broke the law with intent, All of those things do not reflect the reality of what happened out there. They serve to set up the stage in the political theater that Russia is putting on in order to pretend that she is going through a legitimate trial. And there was a hostage expert and professor on Outside the Lines today, Danny Gilbert, who said just as much. I mean, look, the most important thing that we need to do is just reject that any of this is fair, that any of this is legitimate. The Russians are holding our citizens hostage and they are making egregious demands to get people home. We wouldn't expect necessarily a country like Germany to also get involved in a deal like this, but the Russians are going to try to put every demand they can on the table to get a deal. And why? If, if Russia just wants to keep American citizens, withhold them, unlawfully detain, detain them, which is how Brittany Griner has been classified for months now, which was the sign from the American government that this was not an American who did something illegal in another country and was being fairly processed as a result. That was them saying this is very clearly not a legitimate trial. This will not be a legitimate legal representation of what went down. Why would they do that? Why does Russia care? Well, TJ Quinn was also on Outside the Lines and talked about how Russia needs to pretend both internally and internationally that they're on the up and up. 
they've always maintained this, this veneer of respectability, of legitimacy to what they're doing. It's not just a U.S. Or, and an international audience. There's also a domestic audience at play here. This is Vladimir Putin's justice system, and it's a sign domestically that, look, we're, we're a serious country with a serious legal criminal justice system, so they want to do everything they can to maintain that. When it gets too public, uh, it makes it look like this is, frankly, what it is, a hostage mm -hmm. negotiation. And that's why throughout the case, Brittany Griner has followed the the expert advice that tells her plead guilty, be remorseful, say things like she did in that courtroom. I've he heard a lot about, you know, political pawns. I hope that nothing like that is going on. And I don't believe anything like that is going on in this courtroom. She has to further the narrative that the Russians are putting forth to give herself the best opportunity to be treated correctly and to be sent home. So that's what happens now. They've laid out this extremely lengthy sentence that in no way is legitimate when compared to the allegations of cannabis oil brought into the country, which again, we don't even know if she did that. They easily could have been planted. And if you roll your eyes at that, then you do not know the country and the government that you're dealing with. But even if she did do that, by mistake had cannabis oil in her bag when she got there, Nine years, the allegations that she did it with intent, as if she was had intent to sell or, or distribute, all of this is completely absurd when related to the case at hand. And the reason they're doing that is to elevate what kind of prisoner they have in Brittany Griner for that negotiation and that political back and forth. Well, you want us to send her back and maybe Paul Whelan, another American detainee here, you want us to send them back. Well, that's a lot of years of jail time. That's a lot of fines that they are that they owe. That's a lot of fill in the blank, right? The more they elevate what they can claim that she did and the punishment she deserves, the more they can ask for America in return. So again, you can be horrified and disgusted and sad at hearing nine years, but you also have to understand that this is not a legitimate sentence. This isn't even a legitimate trial. Brittany Griner is a hostage in Russia, and what you should have is empathy for her as a human being and the horrific situation that she's in, and hope that the American government and the experts in these cases can get her and Paul Whelan home. That's it. And to continue following T.J. Quinn, because if you do, you will understand the steps of this as they go on in a way that I have throughout. And it's made it a little bit more easy to process, even as I feel absolutely horrific for Brittany, for her family members, for her loved ones, for her teammates, for the rest of the WNBA and all those who have spoken out for her. Spain and Fit, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to get more into this later in the show and, and talk to Jake Trotter, who covers the Browns. But the NFL officially appealing the Deshaun Watson ruling. And I think a lot of people are confused about all of this. Here's the thing. The NFL put together a new process. The NFLPA said, hey, we don't want Roger Goodell to be judge, jury, and executioner. We need a better system. The best they could do was the independent judge paid for by both the PA and the league. They could not convince the NFL to get rid of that final step, the appeal process going back to Roger Goodell and the league. That's something that the NFL PA could not negotiate out of the CBA. So in this case, the most rational thing I can think of, based on the presentation that the NFL put forth, based on 
the the punishment that they asked for that was nowhere near met by Judge Sue L. Robinson and based on the appeal is that the NFL hoped that an independent judge would set a new precedent in this case that they could then follow because they have a horrific record on these kind of crimes. If you remember, Ray Rice was completely botched at every turn and everything from having his abused fiance sitting next to him while talking to investigators about what went down. Anyone with any knowledge in domestic violence and, and intimate partner violence would tell you that that's patently absurd. The two games that Roger Goodell handed down that then the public outcry forced his hand to, to, to give more. And then that resulted in a policy change. Roger Goodell gave Ray Rice two games based on precedent and based on previous cases. Everyone rightfully shouted him down for that, and he changed the conduct policy. Made it six games as a baseline for a violent offense of that kind. Well, in this case, because Sue L. Robinson, who, by the way, has zero history in cases of sexual assault, domestic violence, interpartner violence, etc., decided that this was a non-violent series of predatory sexual assaults. Try to make that sentence make sense for you. But because she decided that the sexual assaults that he committed were nonviolent, quote unquote, she could only look to the precedents that had been set by previous cases of three games. So she gave three more than the precedent that was set because she said this was premeditated, predatory, egregious, and the worst that the NFL had seen of this kind of behavior but then basically laid out that she was hamstrung by the NFL's own policies and precedents to go further than six games. She even wrote it in there. Even if you believe that this is deserving of far more than that, I can't do it because it would be unfair to players to have zero precedent and no baseline for something like this laid out before assigning that punishment. So since she was unwilling to set that precedent, precedent, now the league has to revisit with the designee that Roger Goodell has appointed and presumably change their own policy because they will be incapable of getting what they want. In this case, putting out the case, having the judge say they were right, and then seeing that judge use their very own baselines and policies to underpunish. They'll be incapable of having that be any different the next time this happens unless they change the personal conduct policy moving forward in addition to whatever punishment Deshaun Watson gets. We'll get into some more of the details on that and some of the details from uh, the accuser's attorney who said the NFL chose not to speak to several of the accusers, etc. We'll get to that a little bit later. Now, let's talk to the Browns plan and what's next for the appeal. Jake Trotter coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So what's next for the Cleveland Browns, the league, and Deshaun Watson? Going to find out now. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN NFL Browns reporter Jake Trotter joins me now. Jake, great job on ESPN Daily the other day trying to break down all elements of this. That was before it became official that the NFL would appeal. So what's the next step for the, the Browns and Deshaun Watson here after learning that there would be an appeal? Yeah, Sarah, so the next step which we got today was Roger Goodell deciding if he was going to hear this appeal himself or if he was going to appoint a designee which is his right according to the CBA of 2020 and he has appointed uh, former New Jersey Attorney General Peter Harvey uh, who uh, is actually been a designee on other arbitration cases related to the league has a long uh, relationship working on behalf of the NFL. So 
presumably the NFLPA will file its response to the league tomorrow, and then basically this case goes to Harvey. And we don't have a clear timetable. All we know is that according to the CBA, this process, this appeals process has to be expedited. So this is not going to be a two- or three-month ordeal. Uh, It's going to be a lot quicker than that. But how quick, we just don't know because, again, Sarah, this is the first time we've gone through this process. This is the first mm-hmm. uh, ca- a personal uh, conduct case where we've had a disciplinary officer, first time we've had an appeal. So we're all kind of going through this for through the first time, and not just us, but the NFLPA and the NFL as well. You're reporting that a source has told you the NFL will appeal for an indefinite suspension with a minimum of one year, which is what had previously sought in its presentation to Judge Suell Robinson, a monetary fine, which was not levied by Robinson. And in her ruling, it almost sounded like if you parsed her language that she thought that it was a fine or suspension, not potentially both. I can't say that for sure, but that sure sounded like what she presented. Also, treatment that the star quarterback would have to undergo. That's unique and and interesting as well, considering uh, when you have assessed that someone has premeditated and predatory behavior, uh, the assumption that he would just return and everything would be fixed um, is a bad assumption. So all of that is what the NFL is asking for. And now it will be up to this designee uh, that you mentioned, uh, Attorney General Peter C. Harvey out of New Jersey, to decide. In other cases we've seen like this, Jake, uh, the player's representative has uh, sued or attempted to get their player out on the field while this is ongoing. It doesn't sound like this case would be likely to work out that way for Deshaun Watson, right? Because of the ruling that already came down. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to see on what grounds they would sue, right? Because, and again, you know, I'm not an attorney, so I'm sure there are ways to get around it. But if you read the CBA, I mean, Roger Goodell is well within his right, or I should say the league is well within its right, plainly stated, to appeal the decision of a disciplinary officer. Um, The NFLPA has that right as well, though they stated that they weren't going to appeal before Robinson's ruling came out. And I think what we were all wondering going into this entire week was, what was Robinson going to find? Like, was she going to you know, find that maybe he violated parts of the personal code of conduct policy. Um, You know, was she going to say, well, the NFL didn't really prove its case in this particular situation. And when you saw the six game suspension initially, it's kind of what you thought. Right. But then you read the report later on in the day and she sided with the NFL basically on every count, including that Watson engaged in sexual assault as the league defines it was a danger uh, to other people. So she you know, according to Robinson, he was guilty of what the NFL alleged he did. So I don't know what grounds the NFLPA would move forward on other than to say that you're not treating the players like you do the owners, which was right. what the NFLPA argued during this hearing. Um, you know, that, that that's maybe for an, a discussion another day, but it doesn't really pertain to what Robinson found Watson did, which that she found that he did all these things. And again, the NFL has the right to appeal based on to the collectively bargained CBA. The NFLPA agreed to this process. As strange as it might be, the league appeals to the league, and Roger Goodell gets to appoint a designee of his choosing. This is what the NFLPA agreed to a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, and, and it sounds like the NFLPA wanted more than just Roger Goodell, and they got that with this independent process, but they weren't able to collectively bargain Goodell and the league entirely out of the process. This feels to me like the league was hoping Sue L. Robinson would set a new precedent with her ruling that they could move forward with, that with it being somewhat separate from the league, despite them essentially presenting as prosecutor here, they would be able to start fresh using whatever she ruled. And instead, she carefully laid out how their own policies and precedents hamstrung her decision making and her ability to punish beyond that six games. Do you anticipate and have you heard anything about in addition to whatever gets assigned to Watson as a new punishment by this uh, attorney general, but also the league looking at their own baseline policies and precedents and changing them the same way Roger Goodell did right after Ray Rice? It does not have to be collectively bargained, so they could do that at any time. Yeah, it feels like that's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to set a new precedent for these types of situations going forward, because if you're just operating off past precedent over and over and over again, and you don't feel like the penalties are sufficient, then you've got to set a new precedent somehow. And this independent arbitrator, Sue Robinson, you know, she she was pretty withering in her, her assessment of Watson's behavior. But at the same time, uh, you know, she was confined to the league's policy and the league's precedent. And the league's precedent for nonviolent sexual assault was three games. That was the highest penalty in the history of the league. Uh, as she wrote, and so she doubled it, you know, from there. But again, three games to six games, and, you know, I think a lot of people would agree that based on what she found, that six games might be insufficient. So it just feels like to me the NFL is trying to set a new precedent for this type of behavior going forward, and that's exactly why they appealed a decision that Robinson agreed with them on uh, on all three counts of the personal uh, conduct policy. Yeah, and and potentially because it is confusing to look at Roger Goodell's past decision-making and try to reconcile it with current, but society has changed, expectations for the NFL has changed, their reputation has taken um, a hit over the last however many years because of their handling of these things. So the ability to have first Sue L. Robinson, which didn't work out, and now this new designee set a new baseline, set a new precedent that is not Roger Goodell's doing then allows them to move forward in the space differently than they had in the past without it looking hypocritical or without being compared to previous rulings. Uh, That seems to be what the intent is here. Now we'll just see how it's handled by Roger Goodell's designee. Jake Trotter of the Browns is with me here on Spain and Fitzsola Spain on ESPN Radio. Let's talk about the football side of things. The, The Browns presumed potentially a longer punishment. That's at least what we were hearing about the camp, expecting more than six games. This comes down. Now there's an appeal. How do they plan for whatever might come next? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, they're going to have to wait and see what happens to some degree. But I do think that they are bracing for the NFL, or at least the the designee in this particular situation, to to implement a pretty significant suspension on Watson. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in federal court, but at some point the Browns are going to have to look at this team and say, okay, like we can't count on Deshaun Watson being here, and yet we have a roster that's Super Bowl caliber, which, by the way, is why they traded for Deshaun Watson in the first place and took this enormous gamble because they felt like they were a player uh, of that caliber away from being a team that could play uh, in the Super Bowl. So, Right now, it's Jacoby Brissett. They signed Brissett this offseason to be Watson's backup and to be the starter uh, while he was out serving a suspension, a suspension that they anticipated at the time of trading for Watson was going to be in the neighborhood of four to six games. Looks like it's going to be a lot longer than that. So the decision they have to make is, 
okay, if we don't think Watson is going to be back on the field at least anytime soon this season, then do we roll with Jacoby Brissett or do we make a trade for somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo? I think these are the, these are the type of conversations that the Browns front office is going to start to, to have in the coming days. Um, but it's tough because they don't have full clarity yet on how many games Watson is going to be out. They know he's yeah. going to be out at least six, but until they know he's going to be out 10, 12, the whole season, um, you know, it's difficult to make that type of trade. So they're in a, they're in a tough spot. But again, this is a situation that they, you know, put themselves in when they made this trade back in March for Deshaun Watson with all these allegations pending against him. Yeah. Because with Jimmy G, it's a massive amount of money to take on. There isn't, doesn't appear to be a big market or, 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 you know, race for his services. But if you take him on, you take on a lot of money. And again, if there's an injury in another team, he might go there, leaving you without an option if it is a full season suspension. Hey, Jake, real quick, uh, what's the timeline that you expect for us to hear about some of this stuff? On the football side of it um, or the, the Watson side of it, I, I think that I could see by the end of next week us potentially having a ruling from – uh, the Harvey, the, uh, the the designee on which way this appeal is going to go in. But then, you know, if the NFLPA sues at that point, then who knows when this situation is going to end. Um, you know, for the Browns, I think, you know, in the next week or two, if they're going to move forward with a trade for somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo, they're going to have to do it because uh, the season's not that far away from beginning. And we're already a couple weeks into training camp. And, uh, you know, it's hard to see somebody like, Jimmy Garoppolo coming into your team and then all of a sudden playing at a high level uh, to give you a chance to compete in the AFC. So, I mean, there's so many moving parts and it's so difficult to predict timetables with this, with this type of stuff. And up, up here in Cleveland, Sarah, it's just like day to day. It feels like sometimes. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your work. I know it's been super busy for you. So thanks for the time. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Jake Trotter, ESPN NFL Brown supporter, been doing a great job keeping everybody up to date on the latest on this. Coming up, we're going to look at the uh, Jag side of things after taking a look at the Raiders side of tonight's game. Hall of Fame game tonight. That's right, NFL football tonight. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You know what, guys? When I'm solo, you need to have some respect and not play the song I just requested you not play. I'm not going to name any other names of things I don't want because I know what will happen. I deserve respect. Gosh darn it. Oh, why? It's Spain and Fit, Solo Spain. Let's get to some sports. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I get enough country when Fitz is here, okay? Just his presence oozes history of country. I don't need it when he's gone. Let's talk about the other half of tonight's Hall of Fame game. Yeah, that's right. There's NFL football tonight. It's preseason. You're not going to know anybody playing, but it's still the NFL, okay? It's back. We're going to get into it with Mike DiRocco, ESPN NFL Jags reporter. Mike, thanks for the time. Problem. Um, hopefully the NFL. Delay. Uh-oh. Let's see if we can call uh, Mike back and get a better, uh, better connection there. Uh, he sounds like he's uh, cruising down uh, freeway and the wind is interrupting. Um, we are going to talk about this matchup, which is looking at two. I mean, it's hard to narrow down which of the NFL's teams had the most turbulent seasons slash off seasons. You could certainly throw the Browns and the Commanders and a bunch of other teams in the mix. But the Jaguars are real trying to start with a fresh slate the same way that the Raiders are. Um 
Urban Meyer and everything that went down last year, you know, not really getting a great look at who you've got with Trevor Lawrence or any of your other weapons because of the just absolute disaster from the top down. Um, They're going to be looking for a fresh slate. Okay, Mike, do we have you now? We do. How are we doing, Sarah? Good. What what, uh, Bon Mose did I miss that you were coming back with there that we're all choppy? Oh, I was just saying we hope to have football tonight. Right now they're in a severe weather delay. So, oh, uh, gosh. Rain, rain is falling here at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium pretty, uh, pretty heavily right now. I'm not even going to make any quips about what that's uh, telling us about the, the big man in the sky's feelings about the NFL right now. Uh, I'll save that for another time. Let's talk about this Jags team. As I was just mentioning, there is so much cleanup to do after a disastrous season last year. The hope, the bright spot is that you have Trevor Lawrence, but you didn't really know what you got last year because of everything that trickled down from the top. How much is this a clean slate, fresh start for the Jags this year? Yeah, you know, Doug Peterson said in the spring that the guys needed to heal. Um, You know, so clean up on aisle seven uh, after everything that went on last year. And you know, you, you, you're basically starting from ground zero. You just kind of throw 2021 out because it was such a disaster and there was so much dysfunction that you everybody's kind of starting at ground zero, even Trevor Lawrence from, you know, a standpoint of, you know, he's getting some real NFL coaching. He's got a bunch of guys around him that uh, played uh, collegiate or NFL quarterback. He's got some better playmakers around him here. So it, it's sort of like a, a flush 2021 away and start over from the bottom but but they're they're in much better shape now than they were heading into 2021 just personnel wise player talent wise and and obviously coaching wise not a surprise that lawrence won't play tonight who are some of the other names that we might actually see in the post uh in the preseason that aren't uh the rookies or or guys fighting for a roster spot yeah you know pretty much all the frontline guys are not going to play unless they are rookies um, you know, we're going to see Trayvon Walker. We're supposed to see Trayvon Walker, the number one overall pick. I don't know if this rain is, is going to impact any decisions that the coaching staff makes on holding guys out right now. But, you know, we'll see some veteran guys that are fighting for spots, guys like Shaq Quarterman, uh, a guy like Tyler Shatley, an older along the offensive line. We'll see, um, you know, a bunch of uh, wide receivers, second and year guys that are just trying to, to take that last spot on the roster. Guys like uh, Tim Jones and Jeff Cotton. Those are some of the guys that we'll see. It, w- it was going to be a pretty, pretty, almost a scrimmage in terms of the number of guys that are being held out, uh, you know, for precautionary reasons anyway. And, and that even may change, like I said, with, with this rain now. Yeah, you mentioned Trevon Walker, so he might not be out there. Uh, but beyond Walker, who are some of the other young guys that fans and the staff really want to get a look at to see what they've got at the professional level? Yeah, the the, the rookie center from Kentucky is, is you know he came in uh, third round pick, like I said, and, and in the spring it was oh he's going to battle Tyler Shatley for the job, and then the first day of training camp opened up and, and he was the starter and he's been there ever since. Uh, you know, you want to kind of see this kid get, you know, his first welcome to the NFL moment. He's had some uh, some good days and some, some not-so-good days at times in camp, and you just want to kind of see some of these young guys taking a look at, at uh, guys across from them that aren't their teammates and, and the level of competition ramping up a little bit. But, you know, Chad Moom is another guy, a uh, linebacker that they drafted in the third round, uh, you know, who they want to play inside to pair along with Devin Lloyd and, and Oye Luikin. So, 
know, those are probably the top two rookie guys that people want to see. Mike Duraco, ESPN NFL Jags reporter with us here on Spain and Fitz ahead of tonight's Hall of Fame game against the Raiders starts in about 10 minutes here to kick off the NFL preseason. How big of a deal is this season to Jaguars GM Trent Balky? He has been much maligned for a lot of decision making and last year's incidents and Urban Meyer situation certainly didn't help. Is his job on the line this year? No, I don't think so. I mean, Doug, uh, excuse me, uh, owner Shad Khan has said that he has full faith in Trent Baalke, and he has been really impressed with the way Trent and head coach Doug Peterson work together, both throughout free agency and the draft. Um, and it's looking like that draft from last year, especially if a guy like Travis Etienne, who missed the year with the Liz Frank injury, uh, you know, has the kind of year that it looks like he's capable of based on the way he's performed in camp. You know, and they made a couple of moves in the in the draft. They're trading back into the first round to get Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd. So, you know, did a good job in free agency this year with Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and Zay Jones and Brandon Sheriff. So, you know, he's as secure as any GM in the league right now. You know, Doug Peterson's exit from the Eagles was pretty unceremonious, especially considering how soon after the Super Bowl win it came. How enthusiastic and how excited does the Jaguars fan base seem for this new head coach? Well, they're in love with him for a couple of reasons. Number one, because he won a Super Bowl uh, back in 2017. And, and number two, he won that Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And people around here in Jacksonville know just how bad the Nick Foles experiment was in, in 2019 <laughs> when he signed here as a free agent. It was some of the worst quarterback play that I've seen on this team in, you know, seven, eight, last seven, eight, nine years. And, and when you look back, that that's, a lot of bad quarterback play. So the fact that he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles uh, has everybody here just thinking he's going to work wonders with Trevor Lawrence. And, I mean, it's just a logical conclusion. Um, you know, he turned Carson Wentz into an MVP candidate too. So people around here are excited for that combination. Yeah, actually an incredible amount of talent from what we'd expect from Trevor Lawrence paired with a coach who's known for getting the best out of quarterbacks could mean some real exciting football for a fan base that has been without for quite some time. I won't get a look at Trevor tonight, but a bunch of other Jags will be on display, assuming that there is a game. Mike, good luck with the weather and the game. Enjoy. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Mike Duraco, ESPN NFL Jags reporter. Yeah, I kind of forgot just what a mess both of the teams tonight were for a lot of last season. Uh, coming up, Brittany Griner has received her sentence in Russia. TJ Quinn going to break it all down for us next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A lot of serious news today in the sports world again as we try to keep up with the NFL's appeal on the Deshaun Watson sentencing. Also news on Brittany Griner. We'll get into it throughout the next hour and continue to keep you updated on the NFL's return. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, here to help you score big savings. To see how much you can save on auto insurance, visit Progressive.com. Let's head out to the phone lines to get some expertise from ESPN investigative reporter and senior writer TJ Quinn. TJ, I've said this every time you've come on. I'm grateful for your coverage, and especially so today, because the news that Brittany Griner was given nine years in a Russian jail um, in in response to the, the, the conclusion of this trial, for a lot of people, I think, was devastating. And for me... It was expected because you had set us up for this. So explain to those who aren't aware why you believe that this was the inevitable result of this trial. Well, mostly because a lot smarter people were telling me this is what was coming. Um, (laughs) 
from the time she was detained, it, it was clear that Russia intended to trade her, uh, not just because of her case, but because they have a long history of this. Uh, they, they look at anybody in detention as an asset, and they want to get something for it. So the, the federal government, the U.S. government knew that. Brittany Griner's supporters and her lawyers knew that. But they still had to go through with this, because for Russia to operate this way, they have to pretend that it's a legitimate trial. And when the U.S. tried to call them out on it and say, you're not dealing with us, you know, you need to release her, the detention's wrongful, Russia really bristled, uh, in part because they're trying to keep up that, that veneer of respectability internationally, but also to a domestic audience. You're trying to tell Russians, hey, this is a serious legal system. Uh, but they knew that this was always a foregone conclusion, and it was very likely that she was going to get hit with a really hard sentence. You know, Brittany Griner went along as best she could. Um, every legal expert I spoke to said that's the strategy, plead guilty and plead for mercy. Because once, even if you're not a political figure, even if you're just a regular Russian citizen, the system is so stacked against you. Fewer than 1% of people in the Russian court are ever acquitted. So there was no chance for her. It was devastating to them. I mean, to sit there in a, in a metal cage halfway across the world, she hasn't seen her family since February. I can't imagine what it felt like to hear that sentence. But the reality is that Russia was not going to move ahead until this trial was complete. Now that she's been sentenced, it, it may sound awful to have that hanging over her head. But whether the sentence was a year or 10 years, it was always a formality, a way to get to the real negotiations that could bring her home. Spain and Fitz talking to TJ Quinn about the latest in the Brittany Griner case. Yeah, if it did seem like there was inevitability of guilt. What it feels like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is the nine years, the guilty verdict with quote-unquote criminal intent for drug smuggling, the claims that she was intentional in bringing the, the, the cannabis oil in, it wasn't a mistake, um, and the, the fine of a million rubles, which is about $16,700, all of that is about as extreme as you could get, falling just short of the full 10 years possible, et cetera, so that they can, in, in the further negotiations, in the further potential swap, say, well, this is someone who's got a very lengthy sentence ahead of her, who had you know, intent, who was premeditated, all of this, stacking all these things so that in the negotiations, they appear to be working with a much more serious and severe case than the reality had that been heard by a legitimate trial. Well, the, I mean, the, the experts I've spoken to have said, I mean, pretty much exactly what you were just saying. Um, I, I don't want to overanalyze it, and I'm not really qualified to. I thought it was pretty interesting she got nine years because you add her nine years to the 16 years that Paul Whelan, the other American who is considered wrongfully detained over there, 16 years that he got, it's a total of 25 years. Uh, Russia wants a man named Victor Booth in return. He's doing a 25-year sentence. Mm -hmm. And the people I've spoken to said, yeah, they, they really do look for proportionality. And Russia can say, you know, again, to a domestic audience, hey, we're very tough on drugs. Um, part of Putin's strongman persona, um, it says to the U.S., we consider this a serious criminal and essentially raises... Uh, the value for her in any kind of deal. Yeah. Um, hmm. it, it all comes. It all comes down to that negotiation. 
TJ, it's so frustrating because I've been reading you on this case since the beginning. And so that I can put two and two together based on all of the work that you and other reporters have done. There are so many who have not done even the littlest bit of reading on this. And they're in comment sections all over the Internet celebrating an American who has been sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison, presumably because they don't like her politics or they don't like her sexuality or whatever it is. And I wonder how you've dealt with that while you cover this this case, because your reporting has been so spectacular. But there's a human element here that's just so horrific to imagine being in Russia in the middle of a war, understanding the dynamics between Russia and the U.S. And um, how much of your time have you had to spend trying to just explain the basics to the people who are trying to follow this case? I mean, you just you just explain it and put it out there as best you can. And people kind of they either follow along or they don't. I mean, thank God for the mute button on Twitter. Right. Um, you know, the, what, what you see, I mean, look, you scroll through the comments anytime you write about her, it is ugly. Um, but you also have to keep in mind you know, there, there are two factors going on. One, yeah, everything is a political touchstone in this country. And so people immediately try to categorize her based on how she fits their politics. It's just going to happen. But it's all being accelerated by the Russian social media machine. They're very clearly bots throughout my Mm -hmm. feed. They all seem to have started their accounts in the past two months. They repeat all the same phrases. Um, And it is part of what Russia does to drive political division in this country. Um, That's something that that I've studied in, in, in the sports world for years. And it's a very old playbook. And it's very effective. And the condition in our country is politically right now, it doesn't take much. So, yeah, yeah it, it's pretty easy to dehumanize somebody. Um, the ones who really pay attention, fine. Even supporters sometimes, they'll have a hard time understanding. You know, like, like one comparison I keep hearing is, well, if it was LeBron James, he'd be home by now. No, if it was LeBron, they'd be asking for 10 times as much because they right. would recognize his value to the American public. Um, all you can do is just tell it as straight as you can and, and hope people get it. TJ Quinn is with me here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN investigative reporter. You mentioned Paul Whalen. I've heard his family say that they feel grateful that his case is getting a lot more attention because of Britney. And yet, meanwhile, disingenuous folks are trying to use his case and cases of American citizens who have been imprisoned or penalized for drug possession uh, to sort of show up that Brittany isn't deserving of any special treatment and shouldn't be efforted back to the U.S. by the government. Um, do you think that's right? I mean, it certainly I, I never would have heard of Paul Whalen if not for this case. He, yeah, when, when he was arrested, the, the story came pretty quickly. And then when he was convicted, by the way, 18 months after he was picked up, um, mm. People have talked about how slow Brittany Grinder's case is actually lightning fast compared to some of the other ones. Um, there was some attention then. I had a chance to talk to Paul Whelan's brother and sister a few weeks ago, and they said exactly that, that they were grateful um, for not only that it brought attention, but that she has, her team has repeatedly tried to bring his name up to try to link the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they found that to be beneficial. Um you know, but on the other hand, uh, Paul Whelan's brother David was telling me they don't necessarily think that their cases are linked, and they're very prepared for the possibility that whatever deal is struck for Brittany Griner won't bring him home. Because when you're dealing with Russia, you're not dealing with a monolith. It's not just 
calling up Vladimir Putin saying, what do you want to do here? Um, you have different factions in the FSB, within the foreign ministry, within within the Kremlin, you know, different people with different agendas who have the ability to sign off on a deal. So it's way more complicated than, than people think. Clearly, the Biden administration wants both of them together, has said that repeatedly. And I mean, one, you have to take at face value. They just want to bring two Americans home. But I think there's also a recognition that in terms of domestic politics, you bring one and not the other, doesn't matter which it is, you're going to get hammered. Right. Yeah. Hey, TJ, before I let you go, what's the latest on that? We know that that uh, a few weeks after the offer was made, we learned about an offer from the U.S. to Russia in terms of a swap. Have we heard anything else? No, we haven't. Um, I mean, to, to me, what was fascinating was the fact that the U.S. even talked about it publicly. That never happens. And it, I'm, I'm still not entirely sure why. Um State Department officials have said it was just out of frustration with the Russian response to what they said was a very, very serious offer. Um, You know, my guiding principle with all this um, from all the experts I've talked to is always remember you don't know what you don't know. There are so many levels to Mm. this. Um, And sometimes a deal can be worked out and we never find out all the pieces that put that negotiation together. Sometimes it can be something that seems totally unrelated because one side is trying to save face. Sometimes you may never know what was part of it. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you giving us as much information as you have and we have and keeping people up to date. Thanks so much for the time, TJ. Anytime, Sarah. I appreciate it. Awesome stuff from TJ Quinn. I'm just going to keep telling you to watch and listen to him He's talking to the right people and the experts about this, and you're better to be informed than sounding like a moron. And yes, I'm talking to all the people in Mementis. It's Solo Spain, coming up. Will we get football in Canton tonight? Also the latest with the NFL's appeal in Deshaun Watson's case. It's coming up next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Wow. We're really reaching to the uh, extremes of music tonight on this program. It's Solo Spain, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App. Sirius XM Channel 80. I like it a lot better than uh, Florida Georgia Line or whatever that was before. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. We'll keep you updated on the Hall of Fame game. Football is back. Uh, We asked you earlier the thing that you said you would do when the football season ended. Oh, I've got my Sundays free again. I'm going to fill in the blank. And as football returns, you realize, yeah, I never did that. Uh, Never got around to it. And now I can't because football is back and my weekends are going to be chock full of football. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, you can let me know what you planned to do and didn't. Or maybe you could squeeze it in between now and the start of the regular season. We'll keep you updated on the Hall of Fame game and the inclement weather that slowed down the start there. Also want to talk about the NFL's decision to appeal the Deshaun Watson suspension. A lot of people reacting today that the NFL is trying to save face with this decision. That they presented a case to Judge Sue L. Robinson. She agreed with all the points that they laid out, but then essentially said that the precedent that they had set and the policy that they had in place in the collective bargained CBA kind of kept her from being able to give him the punishment that they were asking for. And that leaves them here, where they decide that the best thing to do is to appeal and for Roger Goodell to appeal 
appoint a designee. So it will not be his ultimate ruling, but rather the attorney general he's appointed. And positive about the person that has been appointed is that he does, per sources, have a history, including domestic violence and sexual assault cases. That seems like a good sign, considering Sue L. Robinson's very strange, very strange conclusion that multiple sexual assaults might be quote unquote nonviolent. Perhaps he will see things differently. Either way, as people react to the NFL's decision, a lot are saying they're trying to cover up what they've done in the past, their horrible record on interpersonal crimes, domestic violence, sexual assault, and move into a new era, but they need help in doing so. They need to do this because it's been made clear over the years that they, they don't care about women and that they're willing to insult their female fans. And Harry Douglas, who was co-hosting KJM today, uh, said as much. I think they're trying to save face right now, Max. I'm just going to be honest about it. I don't think the NFL truly cares about women when it involves sexual assault or things like uh, of that nature because we look at the history of the NFL and the way they've handled things. A lot of people may say, hey, you know what? This is a stepping stone for them to change things and make things different. I need to see that on a consistent basis. I don't need to just see one incident that they try to change things, but then things go back to being the same as it was previously. I need to see things change over a drastic amount of time. I need to see consistency from the NFL in those regards. And until then, I'm going to believe what I believe. And that's the NFL is going to try to save face, especially in a situation that's this egregious. Yeah. And as I've said throughout, the, the, the process was flawed to begin with. It was a system set up to fail because while the NFL allegedly removed themselves from being arbiter by appointing this independent judge, they essentially acted as prosecutor, presenting the case to the, the judge and, and trying to get a punishment for Deshaun Watson held back by their own precedent. And Tony Busby, the attorney for the accusers, had a short presentation today and talked about the flaws in the way the NFL presented this case. We don't know what was actually presented. We don't know how the presentation was made. All we know is that none of the people that our firm represents were involved in that process in any way. I have no explanation why the NFL only spoke to 10 of my clients and only presented four of those 10. It really makes you want to scratch your head and wonder what the devil is going on. Yeah, that's what we've learned from Tony Busby. They didn't even speak to 12. They spoke to 10. There were multiple other women who were willing to speak to the NFL. The NFL chose not to speak to them. The women who did speak to the NFL, several also said that they were victim blamed and that the NFL investigators took an accusatory tone with them, including asking things like, what were you wearing? So those are the people who presented the case. And yet, despite what appears to be not just flawed, but incomplete presentation of facts, we don't know yet of the women that they spoke to was one of them, one of the several women that alleged that Deshaun Watson forced oral sex? Because that is a violent sexual act that takes it to a level beyond touching women with his penis, ejaculating on women, forcing and asking for sexual favors. A lot of people are unaware of the specifics and details of the accusations against Deshaun Watson because they haven't put in the time to look into them, but we don't know what the NFL investigator heard. What did the judge hear in order to make her conclusion? And despite only four testimonies and 10 women's cases presented to her, she still said that Deshaun Watson is a premeditated predator who knew that his sexual advances were unwanted and who committed sexual assault against the four women that she heard from during the presentation. 
but then went with six games. An unprecedented punishment for someone with a quote-unquote nonviolent sexual assault, which is why the NFL not only needs to clean up this process with a now-assigned designee who will presumably give him a longer suspension, potentially a fine to offset the Browns' contract that had him losing almost nothing, and potentially also some sort of counseling or treatment. But they also need to change their own precedent and policy. And Roger Goodell is able to change the baseline punishment for the personal conduct policy unilaterally. That does not need to be collectively bargained. In fact, the judge brought that up in her ruling. She looked back at Ray Rice, the two games he was given, the fact that the public outcry forced Roger Goodell's hand. He changed and assigned that six-game baseline after that. He can do that again, and he should do that again here. Otherwise, they're setting themselves up for this to happen again. They can present a case, they can prove it, and then a judge can look at it and say, sorry, but your own policies prevent me from giving the punishment you're asking for. Coming up, race to the WNBA playoffs is in full swing. Some of the deeper teams are real interesting. We'll get into it next. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Can't decide if I think this is a weird choice for a segment about the WNBA or if I respect it. Uh, let me sit somewhere in the middle. It's Spain and Fit, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I have a, a doormat with Santa on it that says there's some hose in this house that I put outside my home at Christmas time because I am a classy lady and so is this house. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's head out to the founder of Black Rosie Media, covers all sorts of women's sports, including the WNBA, Erica Ayala. Erica, thanks for the time. Oh, for sure. Happy to be here. Let's talk WNBA playoff races. There are a few teams near the top that are going to stay there. It's just a matter of maybe a little bit of shuffling in the last two weeks or so of the regular season. And then there's a whole mess near the bottom of folks trying to get in. Let's start at the top because I want to talk about my Chicago Sky first. They're on an 8-2 and two run in their last 10 games. They sit atop the standings at 23-8. and eight. Um, They could still slip as the Vegas Aces are just a game, a win behind the Sun or two behind. Um, which of those top three teams do you think have the strongest uh momentum head of steam heading into the end of the regular season wow that's a great question and it really is a league that is top heavy this year um it, it's a really it's a it, it seems like a coin toss to me between the las vegas aces and the chicago sky but i do think you have to give a little bit of respect to the defending champs and uh, las vegas though is a team that has been in the playoffs they have not been able to get a finals win in in the, all of the runs that they've made deep into the playoffs. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with your hometown squad, Chicago, I as of right that. now. But uh, yeah, Vegas and Connecticut Sun right there in the mix. Yeah, I mean Vegas uh, certainly made a point with that Commissioner's Cup win. When the pressure was on, when the money was on the line, they came out super strong <laughs> against the Sky. Chicago made a game of it, but they'd gotten themselves in such a big hole. You have to assume that across the course of a series, Chicago would be much better fared. They're a lot deeper than the Aces. Uh, but in that one game, the Aces sure made it clear that the Sky are not walking right into a defense of their championship. Uh, the Seattle Storm are an interesting team. A ton of talent. When you, sit, when you think top-heavy, 
heavy. You think about the number of number one picks that they have, former MVPs that they have. A 20-12 and 12 season, not really what was expected. Where have you seen the storm falter? I think the Seattle Storm, as you said, are a team that really has uh, a lot of different pieces. I think it's just a matter of if they're clicking in the way that we see, quite honestly, Vegas and Chicago clicking. They brought in a lot of different pieces, including bringing in Tina Charles after she uh, had one of the, the that new term that we're seeing, essentially <laughs> like a contract divorce with, with Phoenix. So I'm very curious to see if it's, the chemistry that's just a little bit off and um you know they lost some key pieces uh you know jordan canada with uh the sparks now so i wonder if it's a little bit of that and just trying to get the rotation right for seattle but we know that it's an important season for them sue bird one of several players brand january uh, also one of several players uh calling it a career after this season so i don't want to count them out but i think it's just comparative to the other top three teams, they just don't have the same chemistry as of, as of right now. Yeah, the consistency that they need to figure out and hopefully we'll be able to by the time the playoffs roll around uh, when they're on that team is very scary. And the momentum around the end of Sue Bird's career growing uh, sold out crowds in Seattle. It'll be her final regular season home game on Sunday against the Aces. That's a much must watch. Uh, and then she'll come to Chicago on Tuesday against the Skies. They've got a couple tough games ahead of them as they try to get that rotation uh, figured out. You mentioned Tina Charles and the divorce. I haven't heard a single person yet. And I'm talking to Erica Ayala, founder of Black Rosie Media. I haven't heard a single person yet be able to explain how we came upon and decided upon the term contract divorce <laughs> for the WNBA. We don't use it in any other sports, but... Part of it might be, I guess, it's a it's a limited league in terms of roster spots, and it's more likely that a team and player will agree to separate in this league, have a conscious uncoupling, as Gwyneth Paltrow would say, than potentially other mm-hmm. leagues where it's just um, uh, uh, this, the the team's decision to decide what what happens next. I don't, I can't get to the bottom of contract divorces. I wish I could add anything more there. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I think you're you're absolutely right. It was leaning on kind of that uh, amicable separation, kind of both sides saying, listen, this is not really working out. And I think we're also seeing the term used with some marquee heavy hitters. You know, right. we've seen it for, again, Tina Charles, Liz Cambage. Um, you know, so I, I think it's um, just kind of a way of saying, hey, don't come on WNBA Twitter and get mad at anyone in particular. We we, we all agreed this is what was going to go down. <laughs> right. Nobody knows why we're using the term. We're just using it, okay? We don't know why the WNBA started official press releases uh, and using that language. We're just parroting it. Um, it. And, yeah, you mentioned Liz Cambage. And, by the way, Eric Ayala is joining me here on Spain and Fitz. At ELindsay08 is where you can follow her and her coverage on women's sports in the WNBA. Um, what a mess that L.A. team is. I mean, 12 and 19, some of the talent that they have and the expectations that they had. And then you look at Liz Cambage and the way that blew up. It's just one of uh, several big name players that have ended up. John Tal Lavender, Angel McCautry, Bria Hartley, uh, Tina Charles. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's good for player empowerment and decision making, Erica. But is it good for the league in terms of player movement and fans getting accustomed to where players play and, and who they play with? That's an interesting question because I think the WNBA or we're seeing this in women's hockey as well. I think 
women's sports in general, we're starting to see a little bit more player autonomy. I think Renee Montgomery on her podcast did a great job of kind of talking about just that, that this is player empowerment. And it's something that we have to get used to. This is how things happen. I mean, look how many times players moved in the NBA just this last season and what the off-season conversations have been. So this is something that we're just not used to. We know that usually players um, are, are going to stick around with, with a squad perhaps because of an affinity that they have to that area. Uh, maybe it's their hometown. But I think ultimately this is good. But maybe it's just that I've got a little trauma as the oldest child raised in a single parent <laughs> household. Don't like the term, but I think ultimately that the sport and the league itself is going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what we're trying to figure out in women's sports, at least in the WNBA, is we know that player movement is really fascinating for the NBA fans. But in the WNBA, where you've got these big names and that draws a crowd and, and, and draws people in, sometimes the switching of players is more confusing than it is appealing. Um, and sometimes those those kind of players that play for a long time in one market are a big draw. Um, Eric Ayala, founder of Black Rosie Media, is with me here on Spain and Fitz. All right, let's get to the teams looking up because there are a number of them. And as you said, it's a very top-heavy league right now. The Sky, Aces, Sun, Storm, and Mystics have punched their ticket to the postseason. Right now, it's the Wings, Dream, and Liberty sitting in the six, seven, eight spots. Who do you think is at the, at the biggest risk of being bumped? Wow, this is a, a really interesting one here um, because you've got Dallas and New York who were in that uh, bottom three last year really jockeying for position. We saw this run right down to the wire. Then you've got an Atlanta Dream team that – really hasn't seen the playoffs in quite some time mm-hmm. and under Tanisha Wright are really trying to get into that position. Um, it's it's really a toss-up. I think the New York Liberty team is in the right direction. They made it by the skin of their teeth last season, um, but they're going to have to stave off a Phoenix Mercury team. Now, uh, Sandy Brondello was always uh, just a master of getting a team into the playoffs. And now she's not with Phoenix, who's in that nine spot. She's with yeah. New York. So I, as a New Yorker, I gave you the hometown <laughs> advantage. So maybe I'm going to say that the Liberty hang on here, but they're really going to have to put in some work. I think Sabrina Yanescu is starting to show us what she can be when she's not dealing with injury, we're not dealing with a, a, a shortened, well, this is a shortened season, but it's more of a, a regular season pace. Um, so I, I like New York in there. I do think um, Atlanta is going to be able to stick it out. I like their philosophy and they're really trying to move forward with a new franchise. So I really think Dallas, Atlanta, and New York, it's, it, it's their spot. I think Phoenix, we've seen, including some contract divorces and other drama, they've got some drama. We talked about the Sparks yep. having drama. And Minnesota, even though Sylvia Fowle, sweet still, it's her last season as well. They just haven't really been able to get it together. So I'm going to stick with the three as they are right now. Um, and I think, um, I, I think again, Phoenix – LA and Minnesota, they have a lot of work to do. And it's going to be, we've got 26 games total left after the games, or I should say, not including the games that are taking place right now as we're speaking. Um, and everyone plays on the last day of the regular season. So, uh, you know, hang on, hang on to your seatbelts, folks. Uh, it's, yeah. going to be, it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be another good one. And that's why this format has been good for the WNBA and the drama leading to the end of the regular season. 
Oh, absolutely. And we know that the NBA often uses the WNBA as a bit of a, a bit of a, um, place to, 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 to incubate ideas. And the idea of the playoffs being um, every team for themselves, no conferences, I think we'd love to see it in the NBA as well, considering sometimes how lopsided the East or West might be. Uh, you mentioned Phoenix. Fascinating how two of the teams competing for those last spots are Phoenix, who was in the finals last year and has... Mm. Skylar Diggins-Smith, who's been crushing it, has Tarasi, who still can put up those big games, or the Dream, who have been a disaster but have this incredible rookie in Ryan Howard. Um, just just wild to be uh, to be watching this down the stretch. Hey, Erica, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate the insight. Next time, we will figure out the root. Uh, we're going to do some reporting and dig into the root of the contract divorce. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks, Sarah. Sure thing. Eric Ayala, founder of Black Rosie Media. You can follow her on social media. She's got tons of coverage on all sorts of women's sports. Lindsay 8 is her follow. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, we asked you guys what you said at the end of the NFL season you'd be spending your offseason doing. Was it cleaning your garage, learning a new language, finally fixing that pipe in your house? None of you have done any of it. And football is back. It's about to kick off. We'll get into all of it next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I appreciate you guys playing this for yourselves back there behind the glass. You know, you step up into this role, you get this opportunity, and you hit me with the Florida Georgia line. Play a song about host for the WNBA segment. I appreciate this one. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. The NFL Hall of Fame game delayed, but they are out on the field stretching now, and the weather provided a beautiful backdrop. The sunset is a bright yellow and orange. Uh, a lot of the cameras still have a bunch of raindrops on them as as they show everybody warming up. Jaguars versus Raiders in the annual Hall of Fame game, first preseason game of the NFL season, and obviously most of the folks you're really wanting to see from those two teams not going to be playing tonight uh, but it is technically NFL players on a field facing off for the first time since the Super Bowl and I know if you guys are anything like me the season ends and you're like oh my Sundays are free what am I gonna do with the Sundays that I usually spend either you know tailgating going to a game or sitting on my couch and watching Red Zone for 11 hours right into Sunday night football uh, well what I was gonna do was clean out and organize my garage has that happened absolutely not I did not do that what happened was the weather started to get better and then why would I spend my Sundays with beautiful weather in my garage really there is no good time uh, there is no good time to do it but I'm not alone and I'm thankful that you guys stepped up to tell me that you have also spent a whole lot of time this offseason not doing the thing that you claimed you would get done for instance Angry Bears fan Dadman, one of our favorite listeners, has had a weird jackhammering sound coming from under his kitchen floor for months. That seems serious, dude. Like you said, there's probably going to be a pipe burst or some dangerous incident that occurs, perhaps while one of your small children are directly above that kitchen floor tile. You might want to look into that. I would not put it off until the Bears kick off, because I know how you're going to spend your time. It's not going to be fixing it once the Bears start playing. Uh, Mysteries of Life was supposed to power wash and stain the decks, maybe epoxy the garage. How's that going? I, I don't think we've got any of that done. 
Uh, IRL, I teach. Oh, in real life, I guess you teach. Uh, unpacking from moving in May. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. You ever have that thing where you move and then there's a box in your house that's been there for so long that your eyes sort of seems to like turn it into furniture and you don't notice until you have guests over that there's still just a box in the corner of a room from three years ago? Just me? Cool. Uh, what else have you guys said you were going to do during the NFL offseason that you definitely didn't do? I like this one. This might be my favorite. Ryan W151, actually learn what the hell DVOA is. That's excellent. That is, of course, uh, the football outsider's proprietary method of evaluating um, players or, or units of, of teams or teams uh, using every single play of the season and then comparing it to a league average based on the situation that they're in, the opponent that they're playing against, the position that they play, etc. It is very complicated, but it is a very good stat uh, when you use it correctly. Uh, most people maybe aren't, but... DVOA. You got some time, Ryan, before the regular season starts. Uh, Kit Talk Sports tries to get to 50 books before the opening week. Says he's at 45. Going to be a tight squeeze. Best one so far, Trust by Hernan Diaz. Got to check that one out. 50 books during the offseason. That's impressive. Imagine how much more intelligent we would all be if there was no football at all and we just read books instead. That's not as fun, though. Uh, Hudson setting up the back porch and garage. I'm with you. Brent not repainting the paintable things on his home's exterior. Also hasn't repainted the kitchen cabinets. Also hasn't mowed the lawn. Also, where's my dog? <laughs> that last one's important, dude. Uh, so, yeah, the NFL is back. Uh, assuming this game gets underway despite the weather. Hall of Fame game, Jags, Raiders, uh, kicking off any minute here. And that will be the beginning of a preseason that shows a lot of teams. Oh, it is underway now. Excellent. My, my, uh, TV in this little radio hole here is a little delayed. Raiders are up three. Jaguars are at zero. Wow, I'm really delayed. There's already a score happening. Man, I'm behind. Uh, oh, you know what it is? I recorded it, and then I started it late, and here we are. Thank you for the updates. You've finally earned your paycheck tonight, boys. <laughs> Raiders are up three nothing on the Jags in the Hall of Fame game. Um, a couple other things I wanted to mention before the uh, the end of the show tonight. Uh, we've talked a lot on this show about investment in women's sports and the metrics and data and studies that are actually giving us hard data on the pivot point for women's sports and the investment. Uh, well, we've got that recent Euro title by the England women's team that absolutely destroyed the marks for viewership. 80% of televisions in England were watching Massive millions of people, 19 plus million people in in um, in England watching as the Lionesses won. And a cool follow to that story is that they announced a USA-England game on October 7th. If England qualifies for the World Cup, which they are presumed to, they will consider this a friendly and advanced competition. And less than 24 hours after announcing the game, it was completely sold out. 90,000 tickets. Wembley Stadium, completely sold out in less than 24 hours. The Football Association cra website crashed. Fans were in lines of more than 45,000 people. And within hours, all GA tickets sold out. Only hospitality suites still on sale. Pretty incredible. Energy that tells you if you invest, if you give them the product, if you give them a chance 
it will it will sell. And I mentioned this the other day. In 1920, there was a women's soccer game in England that had 53,000 fans. And the men who ran the Football Association, essentially the England Federation, the same way U.S. soccer runs our, our teams, were so frustrated by the passion and excitement around the women's game that they banned the women from using any of their facilities or working with the Federation for 50 years. Like I said, 53,000 back in 1920. 50 years later, women were allowed to play again in England. They started to build, the energy grew, and here we are, 90,000 plus sellouts. So all of the things in the way, all of the attempts to slow it down, and the energy and the, and the, uh, the, the excitement is there. Let's hope we actually make good on it and take advantage of this pivot point here. Uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. I assume they'll be talking Hall of Fame game, and I heard Derek Carr is going to call them live from the sidelines. That's going to be next. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.